continuing our study here through the book of Romans. And as you have heard us mention numerous times in our study through the book of Romans, the first eight chapters laid a groundwork of theology. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 then talked about salvation, used the example of Israel and us getting saved. Then from chapters 12 on, it's all application. And really, this lesson here this morning, we're going to pick it up in verse 14 of Romans 14, do the first part up to about verse 7 of chapter 15, Lord willing, time willing. It's really a continuation to what we went through last week. If you remember correctly, when we started this out last week, I said, if time allowed, it would be great to do all of 14 and the first part of 15 together. It's one long flow, but time doesn't allow to do that. So we're going to pick it up from where we left off last week, and I just have to repeat this because this lays the groundwork from which we're going to continue on. If you weren't with us last week or if you were here and you just weren't paying attention, let me remind you of the key point that we were talking about. We use this example of the idea of this pyramid because the first verse of Romans 14, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. We talk about how it's not worth it. As Christians, we've got to let the little things go. And those doubtful things, those little things that really don't matter, those are the things that just take all the time and energy out of our lives, arguing over things, then the whole scheme of eternity mean nothing. So we talked about this idea, of this, this idea, if you will, of this three-story pyramid. The bottom is the foundational truths of Christianity. These are things we don't bend on. These are things we don't break on. Who Jesus is, the idea of Christ being the only way to heaven, the virgin birth, the Bible being true. Those are things that we cannot and will not bend on. That's the bottom foundation. That's the stuff that matters. The next step up are things that you can look in the Bible and make a case for. You can make a case for this. Well, I can make a case for that. And you can sit there and say, well, I look at the scriptures and it said this, and I think the scriptures say that. An example of this is maybe the rapture of the church. I shared how I have good friends that are born again and saved, no doubt about that. But one may believe in pre-trib, one mid-trib, one post-trib. And those are things that we can talk about. You know, here's what the Bible says. Well, I think it looks at it from this perspective. It's not worth arguing about. But you can maybe make a case biblically for different things. And the top part, the smallest part of the pyramid, are those doubtful things. The things that just don't matter. But you know what we spend all of our time and energy arguing over? It's top of the pyramid stuff. Think about it. Think about how many times you've got frustrated in the last week, last month, last whatever... And when you really stop and look at those things that allowed anger and frustration to come into your life between maybe you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your coworkers, how many of those things really mattered in the whole scheme of eternity? That's the top part of the pyramid stuff. And that's what Paul's talking about. He goes, don't argue about those things. It's not worth it. Now, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. The purpose in the context of this message is not that we don't argue about things spiritually. The bottom part of the pyramid, the foundational stuff, that stuff is vital. That's Christianity. That's the core. That's the foundation. We're talking about the stuff on the top. So let's continue on this a little bit. Verse 14 of Romans 14. And Paul uses the example of food over what not to argue about. Verse 14 of chapter 14. It says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one from whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. He uses the example of food. Now you've got to jump back a couple thousand years ago, because what was happening in the church at this time is back in the book of Acts, the Lord appeared to Peter in a vision, and he said basically all food is now okay to be eaten. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, there were some really strict dietary guidelines. Really strict. You can eat this, you can't eat that. Well, what happened was when the Lord appeared to Peter and showed that to him, that was a picture of the gospel now going out to everybody. Everything is clean, meaning we as Gentiles, we are now clean. The gospel goes to us. 
And so what happened was there were still some people in the early church that said, well, I don't care what happened. I'm still not eating that, and I think that's wrong. Well, there's other people that came and said, well, it's okay to eat this now, so we're going to eat it and going to enjoy it. And that was this battle that was going back and forth. Do we eat this? Do we not eat this? Paul says, guys, get over it. It's not worth it. Because if you feel you're allowed to eat it, then you eat it in the privacy of your own home. Don't push it in other people. If you feel like you shouldn't eat it, well, then you don't eat it. That's that term we use, personal convictions. I personally think it's wrong with it. I'm not going to eat it. You personally think it's okay? Well, then you can go ahead and eat it. Back to the Jews. Pork was wrong in the Old Testament. Now it was okay. And that's that whole thing. If I want to enjoy a pork chop, I can enjoy a pork chop. If you feel like you don't want to, well, then the worst thing I could do is offer you a pork chop. Personal choices. If you feel it's wrong, then it's wrong. So what it comes down to here, that's verse 14. Verse 15, if my brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. If I know that you don't want to eat pork, you feel that that's wrong, the worst thing I could do is invite you over to my house and put a big piece of pork right in front of you and say, hey, enjoy. No. According to verse 15, I'm not walking in love. I'm destroying you with food. It's not worth it. Now, we're using the example of food, but you could fill in the blank with other examples of what's good, right, wrong, and indifferent. And as I shared with you last week, I've learned over the years to not mention those things because it just gets people riled up. Now, if you want to talk one-on-one afterwards, I'm more than willing to do that. But from the pulpit, I'm not going to make a list here. Well, people argue about this and that, and we see both sides. No, the context of this is food. That was what I was talking about there. But we can make the bigger context into our life of something that I feel may be wrong for me, but you feel it's okay. Last week, if you weren't here, we used the uh, funny example of Christmas trees in the Irvin household. Dawn and I disagree on those. I'll let you grab the copy of that to see, but that's the example we used. So if I know that that food bothers you, the worst thing I could do is offer to you in verse 15 because I'm no longer walking in love and I'm destroying you with food. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. If that pork chop bothers you, I'm not going to give it to you. I'll stop. Now in the quietness of my own home, I will go ahead and do it. So, verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. That's the key. Why would you want to do something that's going to be taken the wrong way? It's just not worth it. I want to do the nice thing of having you over, show you Christian hospitality, so I invite you over, but I purposely prepare something that I know that you find offensive and wrong, and I purposely feed that to you. That's letting your good be spoken evil of. It's not worth it. Because what's the kingdom of God about in verse 17? It's all about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The only thing that matters is are you saved or not saved? That's the bottom foundation of this pyramid. And how many times as Christians do we spend all of our time and energy arguing over pork chops that really just don't matter? And you can think of the different examples there. It doesn't matter. I've seen so many Christians get into these arguments over things that just don't matter. And I call them point provers. They just have to prove a point. They're not really thinking about the well-being of the body of Christ. They're not thinking about the well-being of that person. They just want to win the argument. That's all. I can remember before I got married that I would hear people talk about these things that you'd be in the middle of an argument and you can't even remember why you're arguing. And I thought, how silly was that? Don and I will be married 16 years and every now and then we'll get into an argument and I've got to think, okay, what side am I on? I can't even remember what, what I'm trying to prove the point here. And at that time you stop and you realize you're arguing over something at the top of the pyramid. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Dawn had this quote one time that she put up on her fridge. She read in a devotional, and I'm probably going to screw it up, but it was basically something like this. Your theology may be right, but if you're arguing about it, then you're spiritually wrong. And there's some truth to that, that you may be right theologically speaking, but the way you're arguing about it, you may be spiritually wrong. There's a lot of truth to that. I may be right in my point, but if I'm coming across an anger and bitterness and envy, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I am wrong for the way I'm trying to do it. I see a lot of Christians 
trying to take a stand on an issue that may be morally good, but they sure come across spiritually wrong. That's not the way we're supposed to be. The purpose is supposed to be verse 17. It's not about eating. It's not about drinking. It's about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, if you keep your perspective on Christ, the Bible says you got it figured out. The one translation says in verse 18 that you have the right attitude. The right attitude. Because it's not about who's right, who's wrong on the top of the pyramid stuff. It's about seeing people go deeper in their walks and relationships with Jesus. Now just stop for a second and really think about this. How often do we get into these little arguments that mean nothing? If I come across the wrong way, I need to prayerfully consider stopping. That's what this passage is trying to tell us. I can put my freedoms on hold. I cannot eat that pork chop while you're over because if it's going to come across the wrong way, it's not worth it. There's many examples of that. But this is where Paul says, look for the good in the whole body. Now, the food issue is not normally something we deal with. I don't think there's going to be too many people here that are going to argue over dietary laws of the Old Testament. You may have likes and dislikes, but I don't know if anybody here is going to have that strong of a spiritual stand of you can't eat that. That's just biblically wrong. Maybe you do. I don't know. There's a bigger picture here of what we're talking about. The food thing does pop up every now and then. I've got to share the story with you, and I think it's kind of funny. You guys, uh, I've shared it before in the past. You may have heard it. But there was this uh, gal that was coming out here to church. This is years ago, and we helped her move. And she was so appreciative of us helping her move. She goes, I want you guys to come over and enjoy a meal at the new house. So we went over to the new house to sit down and have a meal. Now, this is a single mom trying to do the best she can, but she had this one son, and he was a real work, um, real tough. She would call me sometimes and say, I, I can't get him up for school. He just won't get up out of bed. I didn't have kids at the time, so I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but I said, why don't you just dump cold water on his head? That was my advice. Just, he'll wake up. Trust me, he'll wake up. Um, but anyway, so what was happening is this kid was bad, but it was smart. Bad combination. He realized that you could get, obviously you got Easter and Christmas off because that's what you do at school. So what he did is he went to the school and said he was Jewish. And so he was trying to get off all the Jewish holidays now. That was what his goal was. Now, I give the kid credit. I really do. So we're sitting there, and he didn't go to school one day. He convinced his mom it was some Jewish holiday, and I can't remember what it was, but he was now Jewish. And so we're sitting there at supper, and I, I'm fascinated by this. So I said, so you're, you're going to be Jewish. He knew nothing. He's Jewish. And as we're sitting there talking about him being Jewish, we're eating supper. And you know what we're eating for supper? Pork. And he's just eating his pork, talking about how much he's going to be a Jew. And you've got to remember, the dietary laws, if you eat pork, I mean, that's like the worst thing you can do. The 8.30 service found that story funnier. But the point is, <laughs> the dietary laws, we don't usually run into that type of stuff. It's more of the other things. Like I said, we can make a list here of these little things we argue about. It's really not worth it. The point is, as we mentioned earlier, it's peace. If I come across the wrong way, I need to prayerfully consider stopping it if it's coming across the wrong way. Look at that verse one more time, verse 16. Don't let your good be spoken evil of. It's not worth it. We're supposed to pursue peace, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but if it is evil for the man who eats with offense... It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor anything by which your brother stumbles or is it offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. The goal is peace. If by a choice I am making that's not on that bottom foundational level, it's not bringing peace, I need to let it go. 
So if I feel that strongly about it, and you don't, it's not worth arguing over about. The Bible says don't destroy it because of food. It's just not worth it. But once again, how many times do we have those arguments over the top tier things? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. What matters is are you saved or not saved? What matters is is your neighbor going to hell or not? That's all that matters. How many times in life do we get ourselves worked up and get ourselves all bothered about things and the whole scheme of eternity doesn't matter? God help us to keep our perspective on that top pyramid. Now, what happens though when you run into this situation? Look at verse 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 1, one more time. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and to not please ourselves. Depending on your translation, it may not say scruples, it may say infirmities, it may say weaknesses, etc. The point is, sometimes you just got to let things go. You know how hard it is to let things go? Especially those little things that just mean the world to you. This is so big. I've been caught up in emotion where something that's so little now becomes an end-of-the-world event. And looking back, you're embarrassed by saying, I can't believe I got that angry over something that meant nothing in the whole scheme of eternity. I should have been the strong one Verse 1 of chapter 15, and said, I can let it go. Quick story. I've taught over this before and made that point about sometimes you've got to be the mature one, sometimes you've got to be the strong one, you've got to let it go to the other person. So there was a couple that was uh, newly married, and I was doing some counseling with them. And we talked about, hey, listen, you've got to be the strong one. I, if you've, sometimes I'll say this in marriage counseling. I'll say, someone's got to be the mature one and just let things go. So what happened was they got into an argument. He called me up, and he says, you know, we got into a fight. I said, well, what's going on? kind of told me, and I said, oh. I said, well, that doesn't sound that bad. I said, why? He was kicked out of the house. <laughs> and I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, I did what you said. I said, well, what did I say? He said, I looked at her and said, you know what? Someone has to be the mature and strong one, so since you're not doing it, I guess I'll be. I said, that's, that, that's not what I'm saying, man. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm glad, uh, glad Richard and Betsy figured it out and things are going good, but the point is... <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm saying this, keep this thought inside. Don't share this thought outside. In the middle of an argument, don't look at your spouse or coworker and say, well, since you're obviously immature, I need to be mature and let this go. That's not the point. The point, though, is in verse 1, if there's something that's little in the whole scheme of eternity, let it go. Let it go. One of the things I always teach on when we do marriage is that passage, you've heard me say this before, of husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we talk about how men are supposed to be willing to die for their wives. And we use that example, and I, most husbands I know are willing to give their lives for their family and their wives. If some guy breaks into their house, God forbid, they will do whatever they can to protect their family and stop it. But then I usually go one step further and say, okay, but are you willing to die on the little things? Those little things that really bug her, picking up your socks, keeping this cleaned up, taking your day. Will you die to yourself and just do those little things? And I usually make that point of saying, listen, it's little in the whole scheme of eternity, but it means a lot to her. That's one of the points I always bring up. So I heard Bob Coy teach one time. He's one of my favorite pastors. And he was making that same point about how we need to let the little things go. And I thought, I, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I say all the time. If I know it's a big deal to Dawn, I'll do it. It may be a little thing to me, but it's a big deal to her. So I do those little things to help bring peace. So he's talking about this, and he says the example of husbands and wives. He goes, husbands, how many times do your wives get upset at you for leaving your socks on the floor? He goes, husbands, how many times your wives get upset at you for leaving this on the counter or leaving your dirty clothes there? And I'm thinking, yep, I know where he's going. He's going to tell husbands to pick it up. You know what he says? He goes, wives. He goes, let it go. He goes, it's a little thing. He goes, you're allowing a little thing to make you angry. And then he even went on to say, he goes, normally, most people tell the husband to pick up the socks. He goes, I'm telling the wives to learn to let the little things go. I said, amen. I said... <laughs> Point is, both sides sometimes have to let things go. 
This is, this is really what it comes down to. You just sometimes got to let those little things go and realize it's not worth it. If my goal is to pursue peace with you, then I can let these things go. Now, I tell you, I can be a real bear when it comes to theological foundation because we're not going to bend on that. But the other stuff in life, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Turn, if you will, with me to James chapter 3. Let's build on this a little bit. James 3. The goal is peace. The goal is edifying, which means to build each other up. If I'm getting into arguments over little things that don't matter, I'm not edifying my marriage, my kids, the church, my own walk with Christ. But we're going to James 3. As I said before, I know people that are point provers. They just want to prove points. They just want to make sure that they know, everybody knows, I should say, that they're right. And they can't have peace until everybody knows that they're right. And as we said earlier, you can be theologically correct, but spiritually wrong on the way you present yourself. James talks about this. I've been reading through James for devotions, and what a slap in the face this book is. Just to the point, and this is how it's supposed to be. Look here at James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So every action I do needs to be wise in the Lord and meekness. It means I'm not trying to push myself but just trying to push Christ. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Stop and think about a quote-unquote discussion you've had about with somebody recently. They got a little heated. Now look at these words. Was there self-seeking? I have to prove my point. Was there bitterness? Was there envy? Was there confusion and every evil thing? That's not from God. That's not from God. That is us taking little things and making big things out of it. And this is what happens. I have people come up to me and say, well, I really need to go talk to that person. I can tell right there by their tone and attitude, the worst thing you could do is go talk to that person. Because your tone and attitude right now are exactly these things. Envy, bitter, self-seeking. It's demonic wisdom is what the Bible says. That's not of God. What's of God? Verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. When somebody comes up to me in frustration and says, someone needs to go talk to that guy. Okay, is the Lord leading you? Oh, I know the Lord's leading me. Okay, what are you going to say? Well, I'm going to tell him what everybody else has been thinking and no one's had the guts to tell him for years. I usually take into verse 17. Are you telling me right now that you're walking in wisdom that is pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, blah, blah, blah? Probably not. If you're not, the worst thing you could do is go talk to him. Calm yourself down. Let the Lord see if you're really leading you to go say it. And if you are led to say it, what do we say out here? You say it and then you pray it. You tell them it, then you let it go. You trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to their heart and convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, like we joked last week, the Holy Spirit's not doing it quick enough. Somebody's got to step in. No, that's the flesh. That's the problem. So you've got to let it go. Jump back to Romans 14. Because what happens is if we don't preserve Pursue peace like verse 19, verse 20. We destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, you can change that word food into whatever personal conviction you want to talk about. We mentioned Christmas trees last week. We mentioned music last week. All these different things that we can get into these really arguments over that don't matter in eternity. Sisters and brothers' relationships in Christ are lost. Divisions in churches, problems in families, all over arguing over things that don't matter in the whole scheme of eternity. It's not worth it. What it really comes down to is look at the big picture here. Verse 20, it's not worth it. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles. Once again, if I know you don't want to eat pork, I'm not going to offer it to you when you come over. A little more seriously, the right mentions wine. 
fight, if someone's having a drinking problem and they've struggled with alcohol in the past, worst thing you do is invite them over and give them beer. That's realizing their weaknesses and their stumbling and saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause them to stumble. I'm not going to do that. Verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Very simply put, keep it between you and the Lord. I joke out here a lot, the worst thing you could do is come up and ask my opinion on something. My opinion doesn't matter. Now, sometimes I stumble on this. I just had one not too long ago where I made a comment from the pulpit and I didn't say in my opinion and it came across the wrong way and someone corrected me on that. And I thought, you know what, you've got to be careful about that because sometimes we do say, well, this is what I think. You've got to be careful. And so what it comes down to here is have it between yourself and God, verse 22, and then if you feel in verse 23 that you shouldn't do it, then don't do it. If you feel like you're allowed to, then you're allowed to. Pursue peace, pursue edifying the body, and helping people. Now what happens though in this situation is sometimes we run into people, once again, that are those point provers. They just have to prove a point. And as we mentioned last week, they'll come up and say something effective. You see what so-and-so is doing. And I'll be like, yeah, I saw that. Well, do you think they should be doing that? And sometimes they're new in the Lord. Sometimes they're babes in Christ. And I'm always like, you know what, they're a baby. Let them grow in, in their walk with the Lord. And as they grow in their walk with the Lord things will change. You know, one of the things we always tell the boys at home is if, you know what, if one, if the littlest one is going to be nine, ten months old, what's he going to be doing? He's going to be crawling across the floor. So if one of the older ones get the blocks out and they build a tower in the middle of the floor, what's going to happen? The ten-month-old is going to come knock it down because that's what they do. That's what babies do. They see it, they go, they knock it down. So that's the behavior I expect out of that nine, ten-month-old. If you want to go build your tower in safety, you go to the room, shut the door, you can't get in. Same thing spiritually. If somebody's doing something to bother you, they're knocking down your little spiritual tower. Well, if they're a newborn person in Christ, sometimes you've got to have a little bit of patience. Well, if the Holy Spirit's in them, they should know right from wrong, and they know they shouldn't be doing that, and maybe someone needs to go tell them. Let's talk about that for a second. You go to 2 Kings chapter 5, please. 2 Kings 5. It's amazing how we become judge, jury, and executioner so quickly in the body of Christ. It's amazing how quickly we become the Holy Spirit that we have to point out everybody's wrong. Now, is it wrong to point out a wrong? Of course not. There's foundational truths in Christianity, and if there is sin that has to be dealt with, then we have to speak up and talk about that sin. That's a fact. I'm not saying hide your head in the sand and don't point out things that are hurtful to the body of Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But one of the things the Bible says, as you're going to 2 Kings 5, one of the things that the Bible says we're supposed to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all patience. I run into a lot of people that they're not patient and loving when it comes to trying to tell people about the Lord and maybe some of their struggles and faults in life goes back to what we just read in James. We've got to check ourselves. How is your heart? If your heart is full of anger and frustration and bitterness and envy, you're not walking in the Lord. The enemy is using you. And all that time and energy that's wasted being angry, I can't believe they think this. I can't believe they said this. I can't believe they believe this. It's all wasted. Because it's between them and the Lord. The Holy Spirit will show them the truth. If you really feel like you need to say something, you say it, you pray it, you let it go. But James, you don't understand Let's look at this example here in 2 Kings 5. We're talking about Naaman. I like Naaman. He's always been one of my favorite guys. Look at verse 1 of 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now I find Naaman interesting because Naaman is a good guy. But he's got this one problem, and it's a big problem. That problem is leprosy. Now, when you see leprosy in the Bible, leprosy is always a picture of sin. It spreads, it's destructive, it destroys. So Naaman to me is a picture of a guy that's got his life in order. There's a sin problem. Now, we all know Naamans. Naamans are the guys that have a good wife, good marriage, good job, good house, good family. Everything looks in order, except they don't have a relationship with Christ. They're good, honorable people. 
but they don't know Jesus. That leprosy is going to come and get them. Well, what happened is, it comes to his attention that he could go to Elisha, which is a great prophet in the Old Testament, and maybe Elisha could heal him. So that's kind of what we jump to. Well, let's go to verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and know that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha says, Look, guys, I'm here. What can I do to help? The Naaman, verse 9, went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. You come to my house. Do you want to talk to me? I send out one of my boys, and I just look at you through the window. That's not going to go over real well. What's going on here? Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman, verse 11, became furious. And he went away and said to himself, Indeed, I have said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So he gets mad and he leaves. Could I not wash and be clean? Verse 12. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? See, this is an element of faith. See, the problem was Naaman had his focus on Elisha. The smartest thing Elisha could have done is just stay out of the picture. Because then the focus would have been on him. It's not about him. It's about the Lord. Now, this is a picture of the simplicity of salvation. How simple to heal leprosy. Go into Jordan, wash yourself seven times, and you're clean. Naaman's angry. In fact, he's furious. Verse 11, that's too easy. As I shared with you the story before, I remember one time I had an opportunity to lead a guy to Christ at our house. And we were talking about the Lord. He was talking about his past and everything that was going on. And I kept telling him about Jesus and being born again in salvation. And he couldn't get over the fact of, he goes, it sounds too simple. I said, it is that simple. In fact, the Bible talks about the simplicity of Jesus. How simple is this? I'm a sinner destined for hell. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price for my sins, which I couldn't pay. So I believe in his sacrifice and his death, and now I get to go to heaven. That's salvation. It's that simple. Naaman, you can be healed by your leprosy. Go and wash in the river seven times and you'll be clean. No, that's too easy. There's all these hoops I have to jump through. No, it's that simple. So what Naaman does, he goes and he washes... He's made clean, and he's just obviously excited. Verse 15, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So he tries to offer a gift to Elisha. Elisha doesn't take it there. And so this is what he says, Naaman, verse 17. Naaman says, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Vermont to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Vermont. When I bow down in the temple of Vermont, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Now, do you see what Naaman just did there in verse 17? This is big. Naaman says, I want two loads of dirt to take back to my hometown. Because as a new believer in God now in Jehovah, the only way I can worship is if I have dirt from Israel. Because if I go back and stand on my dirt in my home country, I'm really going to be worshiping a false god. And I don't want to do that. So i got to bring dirt back from Israel so I can have my little plot of holy dirt. And I can stand on this dirt and I can worship God. Now, is that right? Of course not. It's wrong. It's, it's wrong on so many levels. God is God no matter where you're at, no matter what dirt you're standing on. The Lord is Lord. So what did Elijah do? Verse 19, go in peace. Oh my, Elisha. He screwed that one up. Elisha should have stopped right there and said, you know what, Naaman, as a new believer, you need to know this. As a new believer, you don't take dirt back with you. Look what Elisha said. He said, go in peace. Why? My personal opinion, take it or leave it. I think probably as time went on, Naaman stopped and realized, I don't need dirt from Israel to worship God. I can just worship him wherever I'm at. 
See, that's the thing. As new believers, it takes them a little bit of time to get the big picture. We're all still growing. We're all still walking in the Lord. So sometimes what happens, I have our point provers. Someone's new to the world, excuse me, new to the faith, new to the church, and they expect them to have it all figured out. And then we get really frustrated then when they don't. Just like Naaman needed dirt back where he was from, Elisha said, just let it go. It's not worth it. In time, he'll see the big picture. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, the people I'm talking about have been walking with the Lord 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They should know this already. I'll just be honest. Do you have it all figured out? I don't. God have patience with me, and I'll have patience with you, and you have patience with me. Let's not get so worked up about the top part of the pyramid that we lose the focus of the only thing that matters. Are people saved or not saved? Let's finish this up. Go back to Romans 15 now, please. Before we move on, we have to realize Jesus set the best example for us. Because he dealt with stuff. Look at verse 3 of Romans 15. It says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Talk about a guy that put up with things. Jesus walked in this world for 33 years. Talk about a guy that put up with a lot of stuff. The only thing Christ cared about is, are you born again? That's all he cared about. Do you realize how many times Jesus broke the rules in the Bible? Boy, what's he doing touching that woman with blood that touched him? Boy, that was wrong. The leper, he shouldn't be near lepers like that. That was wrong. What about the time where um, he went and talked to that Samaritan woman one-on-one there? Well, that was wrong. A Jew shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. Jesus realized all that matters is the big picture. Are you saved or not saved? Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees during the Gospels, wow, they had a lot of things to say about that, didn't they? Now, we may not have Pharisees and Sadducees here in name, but we have Pharisees and Sadducees in actions in the church today, don't we? Always worked up about something, always bothered about something. I can't believe this or that. What matters is is, are you saved or not saved? One of the little phrases we use out here at Harvest a lot is David ate the showbread. If you remember the story from the Gospels, he talks about the time when David, Jesus tells the story of when David was on the run from Saul and he was out of food, so they went to the priest and they said, do you have any food for us? And the priest said, the only food we have is the showbread, which is a very holy type of bread that was used. Only the priests were allowed to use it. And the priest let David eat it. Now that's against the law. That's wrong. Jesus in the New Testament let it go. He said, David ate the showbread. It was okay. There's times where things happen with maybe a believer or a new believer where you know what? As they go deeper in their walk with the Lord, they're going to realize that's just not the smartest thing to do. But at that time, you say, you know what? The top of the pyramid thing, I'm just going to let that go. Lord, you love them. They love you. It's not that it's necessarily wrong. It's just not a really good choice at this point. Lord, show that to them. Reveal that to them. We can let it go. Now, the problem is some people are those point provers that just can't let it go. Paul is trying to tell us here in Romans 14 and 15, let the little things go. I will stress again, I'm not talking theology at the bottom foundation. I'm talking about the doubtful things, as it says in verse 1, that it's at the top of the pyramid. A lot of those things we can let go. Verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, and we through the patience, there's that word, we have to have patience with each other, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of, there's the word again, patience and comfort, grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Be like-minded, one mind, focusing on Jesus. That's all that matters. See, all this time and energy we waste arguing and debating and getting frustrated over little things is time and energy wasted to see you go deeper in your walk with Christ, to have me go deeper in my walk with Christ, and to see the world change for Jesus. All that stuff's wasted over arguing and fighting over little things. We are a family. We're a body of Christ, and the focus is to encourage and uplifting one another to see that go deeper in the Lord. That is all that matters. When you have that mindset, 
You pursue peace, you try to edify one another, and you realize the greater good is to see where this person is going to be for eternity. That's all that matters. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song.